Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to seek God's presence and serve God's people. Now, let's get to the message. I'm so excited for March. It's unbelievable that it's already March, to be honest. But it's March, and the beginning of a new month means the beginning of a new sermon series. I'm excited. How was one another for you guys? One another blessed me. I'll be honest with you. Like, I was so blessed preparing for those messages. But now we're going to continue forward, and we're going to be speaking from the sermon series topic of by any means necessary. By any means necessary, get people to Jesus. By any means necessary, get people to Jesus. We are preparing for Easter, and how many of you know that one of the largest harvest seasons in the church is around the Easter holiday? We know that because there are people, they call them CEOs, Christmas and Easter only kind of Christians, right? Like people, for whatever reason, are so much more willing to go to church with you on Easter, you just have to invite them. Look at your neighbor and say, invite them. It's important, invite them. They're, they're, this is like, this is when the harvest is ripe. Listen, church, this is the time when that person that is like, I don't wanna go to church, I'm never gonna go to church. If you ask them, hey, we go to Easter with me? Yeah, I guess I'll go. Take them out to lunch afterwards, you know? Uh, it's it's true. And so one of the things that we're doing is we're preparing for this season uh, by speaking from the subject of by any means necessary, subtitled, Get People to Jesus. And uh, and so we're gonna start today uh, with a message about some friends getting their friend to Jesus by any means necessary through the story of the healing of the paralytic in Luke chapter five. So what I wanna do is I want you to open your Bible to Luke chapter five, and I'd like to have everybody stand, please. But since we're reading such a good chunk of scripture together, it's always such a blessing, isn't it, Uh, to read God's word aloud together in unison. So we're gonna start uh, with verse 17, and we're gonna go all the way to verse 26. Are you ready? Yes. Verse 17, let's read together. On one of those days, as he was teaching... Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now stop right there just for a moment. We see that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, there. Where is there? You know, we don't really get a specific location from Luke, but we do get a specific location from Mark. Really, really quickly, you can look at Mark chapter two, verse one. Here's what the Bible says. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, all right? So what I'm trying to highlight here is the location at which the healing of the paralytic takes place. Luke doesn't give us a specific location, but Mark does. What I'm suggesting is that Jesus may very well have been in his own house. Okay? It could have been his family home. It could have simply been his hometown. We don't get specifics, but I think it's absolutely possible that Jesus was sitting in the living room of his own house. 
I love that Jesus let his enemies into his living room. He's bold. Look at your neighbor and say, he's bold. Let's continue. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. I got to make you pause for the cause just one more time, please. Hold on, wait. Jesus was always healing people. That means that Luke observed that there was a special grace that was resting upon Jesus in that moment for him to heal broken bodies. That is powerful. I hope that people would testify about coming to our church and witnessing that. And the power of the Lord was upon them to heal. That's the type of church I want to go to. How about you guys? All right, let's continue. I'm sorry I'm stopping you, but it's just so good. good. Verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Hallelujah. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Now, that should have gave him away right there. In private, right, the religious experts were talking about the fact that Jesus was blaspheming. Jesus, sitting there, you know, perhaps in his mama's rocking chair, discerns their thoughts, and he literally tells them what it is that they are thinking about. He articulates the secret motives of their hearts. That should have gave him away right there. Okay, very possibly this could be God because he knows what I'm thinking. Like he's one of those like prophetic people you don't look in the eye. You know what I'm saying? You're like. And the power of the Lord was upon him to heal. I don't know that I could, you know. Oh, sorry, verse 23. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately... He rose up before them. He picked up what he'd been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. He didn't even wait for the end of the sermon. That's because he was the sermon. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Hallelujah. So uh, the topic of the talk today is simply this, rip the roof off. 
All right, that's the topic of the talk. Rip the roof off. So, Lord, we just ask you today that you would move in our spirits, that you would sow seed that would bear 100-fold fruit. Lord, we yield our minds today to transformation. Lord, we thank you for your word. May it go deep into our hearts. We want it. We put a demand on truth today. We put a demand on the words of Christ Jesus, and we say, Lord, we want you to speak. We listen. We listen, and our desire is for you. Jesus Christ, lay your hands on me today. Jesus Christ, lay your hands on my heart today. Jesus Christ, don't leave me the same today. I, I must leave different. I must leave transformed. We're hungry for you, Lord. We want you, God. In Jesus' name, we pray, and everybody said amen. Amen, amen and amen. As you go to your seat, just ask your neighbor, are you ready to see some extraordinary things? Because he's no ordinary man. I can't sing it like Todd, but I try. He's no ordinary man. <laughs> it's so funny. Joel was here from Upper Room, and he was trying to describe Todd to his friends, and he said, imagine... A grizzly bear sings. <laughs> a grizzly bear sings. It's like, yeah, this is, it's amazing. Thanks, Todd. <laughs> That's when I know Todd's in the sauce. And I stole this one move that you do. I stole it. Listen, don't make fun of how other people worship because it'll happen to you. And you won't even mean to do it. You'll be like, you'll be like, why is Mary Pat doing that? And then like the next time that you're in worship, you'll be like, Lord. And you're like, hold on, wait, I didn't want to do that. I didn't mean to do that. Just, it just gets on you. It does. Gets on you. Hey, how many of you guys know that you, you don't just read the Bible, but the Bible reads you? Have you ever been reading the Bible and there's like a, a word or a phrase or there's a passage that just jumps off of the page and just sucker punches you right in the heart and it like shakes you and you're like, what? That's how I felt this week when I was reading this because I recognized that the Bible actually prophesies to me about the potential and the possibilities of my lifestyle. Like, I'm not talking about just learning or getting some religious knowledge. I'm talking about receiving a prophetic word for my life in real time where I have a revelation about things that Jesus does in the Scripture, and he proclaims to me, this is possible for your life. There's an upgrade available. And that's how I felt when I read this passage of Scripture because I'm like, you know, we should see more healings. How many of you guys are doing like the, the one-year Bible reading plan right now? There's a lot of you guys in here. I know we, we comment and talk to each other on YouVersion. Um, I've been doing that as well, but I've, I've also, I, I read in my physical Bible, and I have like five colors of highlighters, and I highlight different things every year that fascinate me. And this year, one of the things that I'm highlighting is all of the miracle healings of Jesus. 
And, and so when I highlight it, I say, okay, that's a healing. And then I write in the margin the method that Jesus engages to heal the person. And it's very interesting. I don't know if you've ever like paid any attention to that uh, specifically, but I've noticed that a lot of times when Jesus goes to heal somebody, he touches them. Right, it's where we get our doctrine of the laying on of hands, right? So he, you will see somebody comes before the Lord and he'll touch them and, and, then, and then they get healed. In this instance, Jesus didn't even touch the man. Jesus just spoke to the man and he got healed, which reminds me that one word from God can change your whole life. It only takes one moment of him speaking to you. And then there are other moments where he engages some very unusual tactics, like turning a mud ball into an eyeball, and where he literally spits in a guy's eye and then begins to pray for him, and the guy is healed. And there are some other moments where people come before the Lord, and Jesus will speak to them and say something like, your faith has made you whole. You guys notice that? Now, that, that's not always the case. Jesus doesn't always acknowledge people's faith before he heals them. Sometimes he simply heals them. Sometimes people say, uh, if you can. Does that sound like great faith to you? It doesn't to me. If you can, Lord, if you're willing to, if you'd like to, I'm not doing so hot. Can you, can you heal me, please? Right? So you see instances like that. And so I've been highlighting all of these in the Bible, and I'm recognizing a few things. Number one, I'm recognizing that Jesus is a genius. Number one, I'm recognizing that Jesus is a genius. Like, if you look at this passage of Scripture, you'll recognize that Jesus uses the opportunity not only to prophesy supernaturally to the religious people in the room, but he also takes the moment and begins to teach them about how they should be motivated in their hearts and how they should think about God in their heads. Like, he, do, he literally does that. He turns this moment of healing into a teaching. Jesus is absolutely brilliant. Have you guys noticed that? And then on the other hand, I've noticed that Jesus is not only a genius, but he is also an amazing healer. Now, I know we all know that. It's like, oh, of course, Jesus heals tons of people. But I'm not just talking about the volume. I'm talking about the frequency. Have you ever noticed this? Like, we all know Jesus heals everybody. Like, he just heals a bunch of people. That's what Jesus does. But have you ever noticed the frequency at which he heals people? Like, if he's not teaching, he's healing. And if he's not healing, he's teaching. It's like, he's like, here's a little word, you know, about the kingdom of God. Okay, now I'm going to start healing people. You know, I'm on my way. Somebody stops me in the road. I'm going to go ahead and heal them. Okay, I'm going to the next town, and I hear somebody calling out to me. I'm going to go over here and heal them. Okay, I'm going to get on this boat. I'm going to give a teaching, and then afterward, I'm going to heal everybody. Have you ever noticed that? And so I was just thinking as I'm reading through the Gospels, I'm like, if I was walking with the Lord Jesus 2,000 plus years ago, how many days would go by before I would see a supernatural, miraculous healing of somebody's body? A day? Two days? Two hours? He, because you're constantly learning from him. You're hearing from him, but then also he's constantly healing other people. And then I thought to myself, how many Sundays go by without us seeing somebody supernaturally, miraculously healed by the Lord. And that doesn't compute for me because if the Bible is speaking to us prophetically about the possibilities and potential of our lifestyle, 
How is it that in the Bible, disciples always see Jesus healing people, but here today in the modern church, we are not seeing Jesus constantly heal people, and I just have to think that it's not because he's holding back. And it's not because he doesn't want to do it. But we just don't see it as often. And so I've been thinking that this week, and I'm like, man, I'm thinking up all of the excuses because that's what they actually are. Oh, you're going to see healings on mission trips, but you won't see healings in America because people are more dependent on mission trips. And I'm like, but that doesn't really make sense because I'm looking at all the methods at which Jesus healed people. And some people were not dependent, and they were they were not in love with Jesus, and they didn't necessarily believe wholeheartedly, and yet that did not hold back his compassion. He healed him anyway. So I'm, I'm confused. Like, I'm, I'm confused but, and conflicted, but in a holy way. So I'm, I'm reading these passages of Scripture, and I'm like, hold on. We need to see more miracles. <laughs> because we've heard plenty of stories, but we need to see more healings. Like, we've heard plenty of testimonies, but we need to see more power. Like, we've heard plenty of podcasts and sermons, and we've heard plenty of YouTube videos, but we've yet to witness the raw power of God on display with the same consistency that he displayed in the scriptures. And he is just as alive today as he was then. <laughs> I don't know if that's, is that convicting for you guys? It's convicting for me. And somebody texted me this morning and said, uh, uh, the Lord is, is present to heal today. Did you read my sermon notes? Then I pulled in my Instagram, do a little story during the worship, and the first thing that popped up was a preacher I have not talked to in years. Black and white photo just says, Jesus the healer. I, I, listen, I think we are going to see in this house a crazy, insane amount of healings. I, I believe that. I believe that. And I can tell you that as a testimony because I've seen it before. I've seen deaf ears open up. I've seen blind eyes open up. I've seen mute people sing. I've seen the lame walk, take up their mat and walk. I've seen so many amazing testimonies. I was a part of a church in Kentucky in the middle of a bean field where people would drive for three hours just to receive prayer after worship that had cancer. And we saw medically verified, documented miracles of people who had cancer before they came to church and had no cancer the week after they came to church. So I, I have to admit to you, I'm somewhat conflicted by this, and I'm like, Jesus, you're amazing. We gotta see, we just gotta, maybe it's just making space for it, that's all it is. Because it's nothing we can manufacture or achieve in our own strength. It's something God wants to do. You guys with me? I mean, I, am I yelling at you way too much from the start? I, I'm, just, I'm just amped up about this. I'm like, God, you, you're amazing. Jesus, you are brilliant. You're so smart. Jesus, you're so powerful. You're so compassionate. You heal everybody. And then I realize in this story, we actually get both. We actually get the genius of Jesus, and we actually get the power of Jesus, both in the same story. And that's what I'm going to try to identify and tease out a little bit. But the first thing I want to do is look at the healing. And that happens in uh, verse 24 through 26. I just want to warn you you are gonna have to put your thinking cap on a little bit for some of this. Is that okay? Are you sure? Okay. 24 through 26. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, notice he said to him, he didn't touch him, and he just said to him, he just spoke a word to him. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. 
And immediately he rose up before them, he picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home. And immediately he rose up, he was paralyzed, had not walked, very possibly for a very long time. And yet not only was he strengthened enough to get up, but he became strong enough to gather up his bed. He's packed out his whole tent. You know what I'm saying? Like, this man is supernaturally healed by the power of a word from Jesus. Picks up all of his stuff. He goes home glorifying God, and amazement seized them all. You know that word amazement right there in Greek is ecstasis. It's where we get our word ecstasy. Like, they were, I mean, wouldn't that be your experience, though? Like, if all of a sudden, in the middle of this message, a tile from this roof was pulled back and somebody got lowered down on a rope attached to a gurney. It was so obvious that the person was paralyzed. Jesus himself personally spoke. He got up, cleaned up his bed, and ran out the door. I would probably be seized with ecstasy as well, I would assume. Yeah, what? So the first thing we see is like amazement seized everybody. The second thing we see is they glorified God. So that means they went into worship. Like the sermon was over. You've heard enough. You've now seen something. We all begin to glorify God. And they were filled with awe, just filled up with awe. They were so inspired by the moment. And then they said to one another, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now, that right there is goals for Legacy Nashville. If you leave this church and you look at your friend on the way to the car and you say, we have seen extraordinary things today. That, that right, that's goals. That's goals. Not like, you know, the word was all right. (laughs) Worship was, I guess it was okay. But like, I'm talking, we have seen extraordinary things today. So a few observations uh, from this text. Um, I don't know anything about the paralyzed man. We don't, the text doesn't include that. We don't really know. We don't know if he had been paralyzed for a long time or a short window of time. We don't know where he was from. We don't know what he did for a living. We have no idea really anything much about his friends either. The only thing that we really know about the paralyzed man is that he had faith. The only thing that we really know about the paralyzed man was that he had faith. Now, I'm not even saying that the man had faith to be healed, but I am saying that he had faith. We don't know if he had faith to be healed or not. We don't see that he had faith to be healed or not. We also know that there were unbelievers in the room because there were Pharisees in the room, there were scribes in the room, and they absolutely, positively did not confess that Jesus was Lord. They did not believe in Jesus. And I know sometimes we tend to think, well, the only way that healing can happen is when there's an atmosphere of believers. Not according to this story. Jesus was surrounded by haters and healed the sick with great power and a word. It's like, well, if I had my psalmist here, If there was just a harpist, you know, if Ron was back on the Hammond B3 and everybody would definitely get healed. Well, Jesus didn't have those things, right? Play a little soaking real quick. Legacy and Habitation albums. Stir the atmosphere. We're stirring the atmosphere. There's a lot of unbelief in here. Come on. You don't see that. You don't, necess- you, don't, you don't necessarily see that the atmosphere was exclusively people who had faith for this man's healing. You don't see that. You see that 
Pharisees were there, scribes were there, right? And, and we don't actually know whether or not that this man had faith to be healed by Jesus. He may have had faith to be healed by Jesus, but the Bible does not say that he had faith to be healed by Jesus, but we do know that he had faith. You, you still with me? Yes. Right? Which leads me to a point, and I felt like this would be helpful. You don't have to have faith to be healed to be healed. I'm going to let it sit for a second. You don't have to have faith to be healed to be healed. Now, in certain moments, I believe it's helpful because Jesus says it is. I see your faith, you're healed. Your faith has made you well. And yet there are people that he heals that the Bible does not reveal that they had any faith for healing. And I can prove it to you. Lazarus. I feel like I'm helping somebody in the room because there's somebody that's like, I would get healed. I would get healed, but I just don't have enough faith. Well, how much faith did a dead man have? And yet Jesus completely healed him. I mean, let's just, just point it out. There, there are times in which faith certainly does move the heart of God and he heals you as a result because he says so, but there are still other moments in which faith is not even possible and yet Jesus moves and he brings healing. So, I, so what I'm saying is, is that faith is helpful, but it's not always required. I, I hope this is helping somebody. So here's what I know about the man. I don't know if he had faith to be healed, but I do know that he had faith. I don't know if he had faith to be healed. Can a dead man move God? Back to the Lazarus point. You look at Isaiah chapter 38, 18, it says, for the grave cannot praise thee. Right. Wow. Dead people can't have faith. Can't have faith if you're dead. Not possible. You, you, you also look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. It says, faith pleases God. So I'm just wondering whose faith grabbed God's attention in this moment. Here's what I'm gonna suggest to you, that it was his friends. Remember, we're having this sermon series called By Any Means Necessary. Get people to Jesus. I'm suggesting to you, I don't know if the man had faith to be healed. I know that he had faith, but I don't know if he had faith to be healed. But I'm saying I think that his friends had faith that he would be healed. And here's why. Because in James chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible says, faith by itself, if it does not result in action, is dead. And if you look at the friends, the friends' faith produced action. We got to get you to Jesus, man. Jesus heals people. We don't even know if he objected. We don't know. We gotta get you to Jesus, bro. Come on, we have heard that he's in his hometown. He's actually teaching in his parents' house. We can get you in there. They bring him on the gurney. Oh my gosh, people are sitting outside the door. How are we gonna get you in there? Let's go to the window. Nope, I don't think there's any room. Parking is so bad. Kids check in, is completely full. Let's take you home. Nope, that's not what they did. He said, look, it's full in there. Let's actually go around the back. There's a staircase there in, in Israel. There would have been in like flat roofs, right? And so let's go up on top of the flat roof and let's open up one of the tiles and let's lower you down because we have faith that if you get before Jesus, Jesus is gonna heal you. Their faith produced action. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually just astonished by the fact that Jesus did not mind that they destroyed his house to get the lost in, in the place. I, I, I'm fascinated by that. I'm like, Jesus didn't even care. I would have cared. Hey, just text me, bro. Just pray. Cry out to God. Do something aside from destroy my house. Jesus is like, no, no. It's totally fine. If it means that I get to be before somebody who has faith in me, 
And I, obviously, I can tell you guys are moved to action. Your faith has produced creativity. You're willing to destroy my house to get into me. I'm going to heal them. His friends had faith. They were moved to action to get him to Jesus by any means necessary. Here's a point for you guys. Uh, when your friends have no faith for themselves, you can have faith for them. When your friends have no faith for themselves, you can have faith for them. They may say, I don't think God can heal me. I know God can heal you. You know why? Because I've seen God heal people in your same condition. So let me testify to you. Let me tell you, I gotta get you before the Lord Jesus, man. I gotta get you in a place where people can pray and they believe and they know and they know him and, and, and you're gonna be healed. Yeah, I don't, I don't really. Listen, when your friends don't have faith, have faith for them. Let them borrow your faith. Prophesy to them, testify to them, tell them what you've seen, tell them what you've heard, tell them what you've seen. Hey, this, is, this can happen. This is what the word of God says. This is what the Bible stands on, right? So we don't know if the man had faith to be healed, but like I said, <coughs> we know he had faith. We know he had faith. Here's, here's what I mean by that. I don't know if he had faith to be healed, but I know he had faith to be saved. I know he had faith to be saved. You know how I know he had faith to be, be saved? Because in verse 20, Jesus says, and when he saw there, everybody say faith. faith. Here's how Jesus responded. Man, your sins are forgiven you. Right? So he washed away his sins and saved his soul. So it's possible, biblically, just pointing out, that you could be healed without faith to be healed, but it's impossible, biblically, for you to be saved without faith to be saved by Jesus. There's only one way to get to God, right? We know that from Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. For by grace, you have been saved through what? Everybody say faith. faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. I, I, I know for sure that the man had faith to be saved. I don't know if he had faith to be healed, but he definitely had faith to be saved because Jesus forgave his sins. And this always happens, church, when we get people before Jesus because Jesus is so good, he's irresistible. What does Romans chapter two, verse four, it says? It is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. If we get our friends, I, I, it's, it could be in here. It could be your living room. It could be in the, you know, next to the coffee at work. It could be anywhere. It could be on your campus, wherever it is that you can get people before Jesus. I can promise you, he will become so irresistible to them in their life. His goodness will lead them to a place of repentance and faith and salvation. It, it, it's, it's true. Here's, an, here's another point for you. If we'll bring our friends before Jesus, he'll show himself to be good to them and he'll save their souls. So I just wanna say, bring unbelievers to the house where Jesus is. And we know at least this is one of those places. Amen? The house of God. Bring unbelievers to the house where Jesus is. Now, I'm gonna dive a little bit deeper. If you double dip today, because you were like, I heard the first sermon and it was cool, I liked it enough to come back to hear the rest. Here's the rest. All right, so if you double dipped, because we ran out of time in the first one, here it is. I'm sweating up here. Are y'all hot? A little bit. It's fire of God. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, um, where do I go to be saved? Humanity's been asking that question for a very long time. Where do I go to be healed? Humanity's been asking that question for a very long time. Is that true? That's true, right? 
They've been asking these questions for a very long time. Where do I go to be healed? Where do I go to be saved? And we now know for sure the answer to humanity's questions. It is Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. We know that it's Jesus. But 2,000 years ago, the experts, I'm talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, those most qualified to answer those questions, where do I go to be saved? Where do I go to be healed? Those most qualified were violently opposed to what we now know is the answer to these questions, which is Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. These experts, Pharisees, scribes, they were professional teachers of the law. And though they claimed to be big fans of God, they were enemies of Jesus. So I mentioned this earlier. Jesus will welcome skeptics into his home. So for friends, perhaps, that are very skeptical about faith, very skeptical about God's word, very skeptical about Jesus. Jesus literally welcomes friends into his house that are skeptics. So here's a third point. Your friends do not need to be believers for Jesus to welcome them into his house. All right, don't think like, oh man, I can't bring people to legacy. They're not charismatic. It's gonna blow their socks off as soon as Mary Pat does a high kick. Listen. <laughs> When Todd goes grizzly bear, it's over. They're not gonna know what to do when Ben starts doing this and playing his guitar like this. Listen, I get it, I know. It's, it's like, that's kind of the challenge, right? Because like every church has a culture and your culture somewhat determines the spiritual experience required for people to feel apart when they come in for the first time. I get that. But get your unsaved friends to God's house. It might be a little strange for them at first, but it's not strange to the Bible. Therefore, you can let them know. Look, I know this might seem a little crazy, but hey, it comes from this. This was written a really long time ago. I'd be happy to sit down over coffee and explain it to you. Can I tell you about Jesus? So, I, you know, just like Jesus, I want to say legacy welcomes everybody that's genuinely seeking Jesus. I mean that. Legacy welcomes everyone that's genuinely seeking uh, Jesus. And so while uh, Jesus' enemies, they had motives to trap them, to trap him, they certainly sought him. But I want you to consider how Jesus responds whenever the Pharisees and the scribes privately accused him of blasphemy, which, by the way, was true. You have to get this. According to them, Jesus was blaspheming, right? Why? Because he, as a man, was claiming to have the authority to forgive sins. That is blasphemy. Their mistake was not accusing a man of blasphemy. Their mistake was not properly identifying who the man actually was. Because while he was an ordinary man, he was also an extraordinary God. So they missed that. They're like, oh, this is obviously blasphemy because it's just a man talking about the power to forgive sins and men don't have the power to forgive sins, which is true, but he's not an ordinary man. He is God. So Jesus totally has the authority to forgive sins and that's the, why, that, that's the reason why that he said what he did in verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Now get this, it's a holy riddle actually. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven to you, or rise and walk? Well, which is easier? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk? Which is easier? 
Hey, listen, I, I've, I've, like, I've like gone back and forth over this for a very long time. I'm like, I don't know, Jesus. What, what is the right one? I believe you. I have faith in you. Tell me which is easier. But you know what I realized? It's neither and both. Because neither are possible without God, and only both are possible with God. So it's a holy riddle. Notice that he doesn't, he does not even wait for them to respond, which tells me our response to that question is not required. Because the purpose of Jesus's question was not for us to answer. The purpose of Jesus's question was for us to think. Are you with me? Are you with me? I know, listen, I know it's a little, it's a little, I'm, I'm trying to tease it out. That's why I said, put, put the thinking caps on just for a minute, okay? Jesus was not expecting a response. He's provoking a thought experiment. Right? So that's why he sets the whole thing up. When the guy goes down, he had intent to heal him, I'm sure, but he's like, hey, man, your sins are forgiven. They're like, this guy is blaspheming. So what is Jesus doing? He is linking his power to save to his power to heal. So he's saying, look, watch this. You know, preachers love to say that. Watch this, watch this, watch this. You know what I'm saying? We love that. I don't know why, but we like that. So watch this. Um, Jesus is like, hey, I am the son of God. I have the authority to forgive sins on the earth. You want me to prove it? Look at Jesus. He's a genius. And he's always healing people, which is why he links the two together. Look at verse 24. He said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then you see how there's like those little brackets right there in the Bible, which tells me in a sense, he's like, he's like, I have the authority on earth to forgive sins, and he just looks over at the guy. I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. Jesus declares what he's able to do as God, then he points to the evidence. Which, you can look at John chapter 10. Are you guys learning anything? I, I know you're hot, I'm about to get you out of here. John chapter 10, verse 37 through 38. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe in the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Jesus says that the works of his miracles and his healings are actually evidence of who he is as the Son of God, as God, as the Messiah that takes away the sins of the world. This was, this was too deep on a Sunday morning, wasn't it? It was too <laughs> deep. We teased it out too much. We, we went too deep. But by working miracles, Jesus is revealing who he is. He's saying, look, guys, I'm God, I'm Savior. Just as Jesus is able to restore the body, he's able to redeem the soul. Jesus first forgives the man's sins. Then, then he heals his body. You know why? Because there's a priority, salvation over healing. The one is more important than the other. And the man was paralyzed in his body, but he was also paralyzed in his soul. And without Jesus, his internal condition was worse than his external one. Listen, the internal state of our unsaved friends is worse than the external state of the paralytic that Jesus heals in the story. 
Let me say it again. The internal state of our unsaved friends is worse than the external state of the paralytic that Jesus heals in the story. If we have this great truth, why would we hold it back? Why wouldn't we share it with other people by any means necessary? And I'm not just talking about so that they don't go to hell after they die. I'm talking about so that they can live an abundant life while they're alive. You're like, oh, I should, you know, I should preach them to them. They're going to go to hell. You know, and it's like, I, I, I agree. Without Jesus, that's where we're headed. I agree. That's what the Bible teaches. But what about the rest of their life? What about abundant life in Christ? What about whole, healthy, awe-inspired, worshiping hearts with great marriages and great kids and great financial stewardship and all the things that God comes to redeem as he teaches us eternal truth through Jesus? I'm harping on this, aren't I? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God. That lets us know what we go without when we live in sin. We go without the glory of God. We go without Jesus. And last I checked, Jesus is the greatest treasure that I've ever received. Jesus is the best gift that I've ever received. Why would we want anybody that we love to go without the best gift that we've ever received? And here's the deal, it's free. Because of what he did on the cross. Why would we ever hold back the thing that has changed our life most from the people that we declare we love most? I have to tell you about him. By any means necessary, I see you on a stretcher internally. Let me get you to the house of God. Let me get you to the person of Jesus. I see it's a little crowded. I see it's a little full. Parking's a little full. Kids are a little hard to check in. But you know what? I know that Jesus moves there. I gotta get you there. I gotta get you there. By any means necessary. Okay, uh, last thing. We, we, We gotta close. Can I give you guys really quick, practical, simple, just ridiculously practical points? Yes. Okay, here they are. Number one, the friends went and picked up the man and brought him to God's house. These are practical observations. You have, if you got to, go get your friends. I'm talking about if you got to, go pick them up. Pay for their Uber. Pay for their Lyft. I'll pay for their Uber. I don't care. DM me. I'll send you money. I will cash app you for their Uber. I don't care. Whatever you've got to do to get your friend to God's house, get them there. If you gotta go pick them up, go pick them up. If you gotta wake up early, wake up early. They're worth it. Yeah. Number two, a full house didn't stop them. Listen, I know it's not the easiest place to get into right now. I know it's not the most convenient. I get it. I get it. I understand. But a full house didn't stop them. They were gonna get their friends to Jesus by any means necessary. Here's the last point, number three. They got creative, they got inventive, and they worked hard to get him before Jesus. They carried the man all the way upstairs. They opened up the roof. They lowered him down before Jesus. One no didn't stop them. I know sometimes, hey, would you like to go to church with me? Hey, you know, God's been good to me. I'd like to share my story. No. One no didn't stop them. The closed door didn't stop them. Window seal full didn't stop them. The thatch roof or whatever it had to be didn't stop them. They refused to let no stop them. They were persistent. They worked until their friend met Jesus. Their faith manifested as creativity. I just want you to know, church, as I'm closing, rip the roof off if you have to. Get your friends to Jesus by any means necessary. Look at the person next to you say, rip the roof off if you have to. Get your friends to Jesus by any means necessary. Come on, let's stand up and pray. Thank you for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. 
If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, make sure you log into the store and give us a good review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Join us again next week for another powerful word.